Hello, I'm Janus. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to our podcast that celebrates wordiness and nerdiness and sometimes plain absurdiness. Please join us for today's episode of Your Your New New Favorite Favorite Word. Thanks to everyone that has joined us on our journey so far. Our goal is to bring you something fun and interesting to listen to, in spite of the fact that our world seems to have gone completely catawampus lately. We hope you enjoyed getting a taste of hobo slang in last week's episode. If you had a chance to look through the dictionary of hobo terminology we linked, you'll understand when we say that these pandemic precautions have turned us into a couple of boomers with shack fever. I just wanted to give a quick clarification from last week's episode. I talked about the word mitre, um, and I spelled it M-I-T-R-E. But I just wanted to clarify that that's actually the British spelling, and that in American English, we spell it M-I-T-E-R. So, Jameis, do you want to tell us about your new favorite word? Sure. So, for my favorite word, um, I kind of reached back into some hobbies of mine. And uh, I'm going to rewind and go back into history a little bit. In the 1970s, a programmer named William Crowther developed an interactive fiction game called Colossal Cave Adventure for the PDP-10 mainframe. It was later expanded on by Don Woods and some other programmers, but it has become famous for one line in particular. You're in a maze of twisty little passages, all alike. <laughs> and there was a, because it was a part of this game where you entered this maze and then every... Every room you went in, you got that same description with no changes. And so the challenge was to try and find your way through the maze. But what strikes me about this is the wording. You're in a maze of twisty little passages. Why does it say a maze of twisty little passages instead of just a maze? Okay. Because we take it for granted that that's what a maze is, right? Yeah, it's, it's for a, sure. It's a bunch of little passages. So what's the difference? So I turned to the Oxford English Dictionary, um, which suggested that it comes from an unattested Old English noun, which means it's a word that doesn't actually appear in any literature anywhere, right? So it's a hypothesized word, um, mass or masse, however you pronounce English, Old English, (laughs) um, which actually they suggest also is a root of the Old English word amasian, which means amaze. Okay. We get that word. That makes sense. So... Um, and then it also suggests lots of other words that might be cognates of this word, uh, different North Germanic words, like uh, Norwegian words and Danish words, meaning like labor or nagging or trouble or bother or bustle or fuss about or strive. Or this was interesting, to start to dream, mm. a Norwegian verb that means to start to dream or to be worn out or to toil or to idle or dawdle. All these words that have these these concepts in there. Um, but this this word, this hypothesized Old English word, gave way in Middle English to the word maze with the sense of a state of mental confusion. Okay. So you might say that you're suffering from the maze. Fascinating. This, this idea of this mental befuddlement. Um, it also referred to... Um, dissolute amusement or diversion <laughs> how busy they were about the maze <laughs> interesting uh, makes me think of all the time that we spend on our phones and in mm. front of screens right yes how busy about the maze 
But it wasn't until the 1400s um, that it started to be used a little bit more in the sense of what we're familiar with. Like even Chaucer in the 1400s uh, used it to refer to uh, winding paths or passages. Um, but it's that idea, and even as late as the 1930s, it had it was used to refer to that state of bewilderment or perplexity. She'd come here in a maze, or in a maze he wandered out. So like a confusion or something, yeah. a confused state. Yeah, isn't that interesting? interesting. Yeah. Um, and so you, you come back to that, you're in a maze of twisty little passages, right? <laughs> it's that idea of being confused by all these passages and so forth. And I found that really fascinating. Yeah. A related word also has an interesting history, and that's labyrinth. Mm. Uh, actually, that word comes straight to us via like Latin and French from classical Greek mythology. Mm. The labyrinth was the structure built by Daedalus to contain the Minotaur. Yes. Um, that doesn't tell where the word itself came from, though, right? That's just a label. It's a name. And no one's quite sure. Um, the OED disagrees, but... Edom Online quotes a few other sources saying that it's probably from a pre-Greek language, uh, which connected a Lydian word meaning double-edged axe as a symbol of power. Hmm. So the labyrinth then could be the name of the actual, um, the original royal palace at Crete with a meaning of the palace of the double-bladed axe or something like Interesting. that. Another theory is that it derives from another Greek word, laura, meaning a narrow street, passage, or alley, which itself probably comes from another pre-Greek language, but like I said, the OED is very skeptical about this. <laughs> it's difficult to prove things that far back, and there are a surprising number of disagreements about etymology, yeah. more it, than you would think. Right, like we take it for granted that scientists study these things but it's all just people with opinions and, and very educated opinions but and knowing where to go for sources but sometimes we don't have all the sources we need right exactly but honestly a lot of it is just the way these different theories help you think about the word agreed and the different perspectives they give you i always i really appreciate that that is fascinating so anyway, that's kind of a winding maze of lines that gets us <laughs> to the modern day meaning of passages, but uh, but that's that's where it is. I love that. So Tessa, how about you? What's your favorite word for us? Okay, well just to give you a little background information for my study this week, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the concept of false etymology. So etymology, of course, is the study of word origin. So the etymology of a particular word is an explanation of where that word comes from or a theory about that. But a false etymology is one that's not actually based on historical linguistic evidence. Um, it's a popularly held but false belief about the origin of a specific word, um, which is often more colorful and fanciful than the typical etymologies found in dictionaries. So kind of like an urban legend, if you think of it like that. So an example that I thought of from my own experience is the word bistro, which we use to talk about um, a small informal wine shop or restaurant, which is from French. That's the name they have for it. And there's a lot of disagreement about where that word actually comes from. A lot of theories, but no um, definitive answer to that. But when I was studying Russian many years ago in college, um, my professor taught us that the word bistro comes actually from a Russian word 
buistra, meaning quickly. Um, and so the story goes that um, Russians in Paris during the Allied occupation after the defeat of Napoleon um, used the word buistra, buistra to say that they wanted their service to come more quickly, demanding quick service. <laughs> and so that's where the term bistro came from. And so um, having learned that from my Russian professor, I kind of assumed that that was true. And so when I lived in Russia later, and saw that they, the signs for these little sidewalk cafes um, transliterated into Russian were actually bistro instead of <laughs> the word buistra. It made me laugh. It was so interesting. Yeah. But more recently, I've discovered that that is actually a false etymology. It's, it's a, an urban legend about the etymology of the word bistro. Um, but... It's interesting and fun. So mm -hmm. right. I, there's something to be said for that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a way to think about that word and, and find that connection, which may or may not be true, but it's still insightful. Yes, definitely. So leading on to my actual new favorite word <laughs> this week, um, another a, a certain type, a particular type of false etymology is what is called a backronym. And that word is my new favorite word, backronym. <laughs> so it's a type of um, false etymology that um, that word itself came to be um, in the 1980s as a way to refer to a prefabricated acronym or a reverse acronym. So um, someone named Meredith Williams coined this word in a contest held by the Washington Post. And I will link to the article where I read about that in our show notes. Um, but this word um, means, it's a combination of back and acronym. And that type of word is called a portmanteau word. So a portmanteau is a traveling case that opens in half. And that was a word that was coined by Lewis Carroll in Alice Through the Looking Glass, which my younger children and I just recently read in his description his explanation of the words in the Jabberwocky, he said, well, slithy means lithe and slimy. You see, it's like a portmanteau. There are two meanings packed up into one word. So that was fun to realize that that was the first use of portmanteau to mean a word where we've combined two words into one. So backronym um, can have two meanings. So the first meaning is an acronym that's formed on purpose in order to spell a particular word. So for example, um, you might be familiar with the term APGAR score. So this is a tool that's used to assess the health of newborn babies. And this was something that was developed by Virginia APGAR. That was her last name. But uh, they have created words that go along with each letter of this name that make it into an acronym. So it stands for appearance, pulse, grimace, activity, and respiration. But they created that after the fact based on her name. That they were glad that the person's name wasn't something like Johnston or... <laughs> something much longer <laughs> or with a lot of weird letters like Kaczynski or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, another example that you might be familiar with is the Amber Alert. We know about that system for um, letting us know about a child who's been abducted. 
Um, it was named after a little girl named Amber Hagerman, and who was kidnapped. And um, it's after the fact um, has been said to be an acronym for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. But in this case, AMBER came first, and the acronym was created later. So it seems like a lot of um, bills in Congress kind of do this, too. They yes. They'll come up with a word that they want the bill to be named, and exactly. then they'll make an acronym for it. Yeah. So a couple of other um, examples of this. Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, the word MAD, M-A-D-D. Or this is one I hadn't heard of before, but was interesting. A group against smokers pollution, gasp. (laughs) So very appropriate. So the second meaning um, of backronym is a false etymology explaining an existing word as an acronym. So we have the term SOS. It's like, so a ship at sea sends out an SOS. And have you heard of that as an acronym standing for save our ship yes save our souls it's another idea but actually it really is just something that's very simple to create using morse code and it's very recognizable and hard to mistake and so that's where it comes from that's why they chose it Um, but after the fact people have said oh that it stands for save our ship Um, another one is posh it's um been reported to stand for port out starboard home um, referring to first class cabins on ocean liners mm-hmm. as being the more expensive option um, but that is not the case <laughs> um, or being a search engine um, because it's not google <laughs> <laughs> or ford um, the brand name of vehicles to fix or repair daily. <laughs> so there are humorous backronyms created from that. And actually one article that I read, and I will link to this in the show notes, it was very fun. The author of this article is definitely a soulmate of ours. It's someone who loves words. This is a sentence from this article. For the lexically frolicsome, backronyming can be a great sport. So... <laughs> First of all, that phrase, lexically frolicsome, I love that. Yeah. I am going to describe myself as lexically frolicsome from now on. And then taking the word backronym and creating um, a noun from it, backronyming. And then later <laughs> in the article, they talk about backronymies. So <laughs> as a way of um, creating backronyms. And so it says that um, backronymies seems to be popular among opinionated automobile enthusiasts. So most of them know that the backronym Ford is fix or repair daily. For Jeep, just empty every pocket. (laughs) Drips oil, drops grease everywhere, becomes Dodge. Fiat stands for fix it again tomorrow. Saturn is the backronym for sorry about that unusual rattling noise. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And... Mazda becomes made at zoo by demented apes. <laughs> so you could go crazy with these. Yes. So this article had some really fun examples of backronyms. So this is a really fun way to use language. That's that's what language is for, I feel like, to, to have fun and to have words do what we want them to do. And so just as kind of a tribute um, to what we are doing here with our podcast. So our last name is Buck, 
And so for <laughs> Bucks, I would like to create a new backronym that is Bibliophiles Using Cool Knowledge Somehow. <laughs> that is our goal for this That's podcast. Fantastic. So hopefully you can remember that and find some fun backronyms to use in your own daily life. Awesome. Those are fantastic. Thanks, Tessa. Well, thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of your new favorite word. I hope you try some mazes and experiment with some backronyms and get back to us and let us know how it goes. Uh, Stay tuned for next week. See you then.